Welcome to Passion Church. For more information about Passion Church, please visit us online at www.passionchurch.tv. Now let's join the service already in progress. So uh, if I appear a little bit road weary, I really am, and uh, you need to you need to pray for me this morning. But we've come to do uh, another one of our core values, uh, what we call doctrine and donuts. Hope you got your donut and uh, and are ready to listen for just a moment. And as we go through that book about our seven core values, we're on the one that says we prayerfully value Pentecost. But you remember with me that I started a series when Pastor Steve asked me to do three of these Sundays in June. And the series was the Scripture's Most Startling Questions. We started that first Sunday by talking about who gets it all, or literally that startling question about what will you take to the grave. We talked about that man that the Lord appeared to him and said, Tonight your soul will be required of you, and who shall all these things be? In other words, what if you knew you were going to die tonight, what are you going to take to the grave? And we talked about things that you don't need to take, things that you might take, and those things that you should take. Most of all, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And then that second week, we talked about that most startling question about are you all in? Literally, he says in Luke chapter 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? That's startling. Why do you name me as your Lord, and yet you don't obey me? And so we talked about him bringing us to the place and paying the price and entering into the peace of being totally committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so today we're talking about the fact that we value Pentecost. And so in light of that, I'm going to ask you the third startling question, and it's simply this. Are we stuck on stupid? And I want to read several verses of Scripture this morning, beginning in Acts chapter 2, verse 12. And it simply says, And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Message Bible says, Their heads were spinning. They couldn't make heads or tails of any of it. They talked back and forth, confused. What's going on here? What does this mean? And then the second startling question about Pentecost is in Acts chapter 9, 19, and verse 1. It came to pass that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul, having passed through the upper coast, came to Ephesus, and finding certain disciples, he said unto them, Have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Have you received the Holy Spirit after you believed, or after you came to know him as your Savior. And then the third startling question is in Galatians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. You foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you, before your very eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. I would like to learn just one thing from you. Did you receive the Spirit by observing the law or by believing what you heard? Are you so foolish? After beginning with the Spirit, are you now trying to attain your gold by human effort? Have you suffered so much for nothing? 
if it really was for nothing? Does God give you His Spirit and work miracles among you because you observe the law or because you believe what you heard? Now, it's very interesting. He says, Oh, foolish Galatians, are you so foolish? And another translation says, How can you be so stupid? And another one simply says, Are you trying to continue in your own strength that which was started in you by the power of the Holy Spirit? And he goes on to say, Only crazy people would think that they could start in the power of the Spirit and finish in their own strength. Are you going to try to continue this craziness, or literally, are you stuck on stupid? Well, as the kids say, it was back in the day. It was so far back, it was before you might be a redneck if, and it might be before that comedic routine called Get Her Done. In fact, it goes all the way back to 1977 with a country and western star by the name of Travis Tritt. And he had a country and western hit that year called Here's Your Sign. And the entirety of that song is based upon this premise. People do and say stupid things. And when they do, he would just say, well, here's your sign. And after that song became so popular, they made a comedic routine out of it that became extremely popular. So that if you did something stupid or said something stupid, they would simply hold up a little poster that said, here's your sign. Well, my daughter used to put it like this. She used to say, duh, you think? Every time Dad would say something or do something really stupid, she'd look at me and say, duh, you think? And now my grandkids say it like this, really, Papa, really? And so it kind of went like this. If you do or say something stupid, then here's your sign. Uh, say you're out demonstrating a used car. And you drive that car for about 45 minutes. You come back to the, the dealer's parking lot. You park the car. You get out, raise the hood, look under it, kick the tires, and all of a sudden reach down and take hold of the tailpipe. And he said, oh, that's hot. Here's your sign. Or, or, or maybe you are at the lake and you see this guy in a boat and he's holding up this huge stringer of fish. And somebody on the dock says, did you catch those fish? No, I just persuaded them to jump in the boat. I mean, duh. Or, or, or it might be like the, the, the moving van is in front of the house and there's moving boxes everywhere and your neighbor walks in the door and says, you guys moving? No, we just pack our stuff up every six months to see how many boxes it's going to take to hold it all. Or you're out at Hefner and you're flying a kite and somebody says, flying a kite? And you say, no, I'm fishing for birds. I mean, or, or it might be like you're standing next to the car and you have the hanger and you've got it down inside the door between the glass and the door and you're working and somebody walks up and says, lock your keys in the car. No, I just washed it, and I'm looking to find a place to hang it up so it can dry. I mean, duh, you're stuck on stupid. Or if you do something really stupid, like before the days of cell phones and all the new technology, my wife worked in Norman at a hospital, and her doctor had an office down one end of the hall, and she was down the hall from him. And in those days, all you had was extension phones. 
And so one day she picks up the phone and dials his extension. But she can hear the phone ringing in his office. So she lays her phone down and runs down the hall to answer his phone. Duh. I mean, the real problem was that was having to run back and forth all that time to keep the conversation going. Or the one I like, and this is true, it just happened the other day. I was on the computer. I walked in the living room. I said, honey, do you remember Sister Wren? And she said, oh, yeah. And I said, her funeral's Thursday. And she looked me right in the eye and said, did she die? No, we just have a practice funeral once every six months so we can make sure we get it right. I mean, if you're not careful when you do and say certain things, you're just stupid. Here's your sign. In fact, that's what the kids call it. I read a book where that now kids use this term, stuck on stupid or parked on dumb. And what it means is, if you keep repeating the same thing over and over and over, and you expect something to change, it's never going to do it. You're stuck on stupid. You're parked on dumb. That's also the same definition of insanity. Insanity is repeating the same thing over and over and over and expecting a different results. Before long, you're just stuck on stupid. You're just parked on dumb. And the fact is, the Scripture uses that same analogy. It uses it in a little bit different term, but it's like this. There are at least 17 distinct times in the New Testament where the Bible says, Do not be deceived. Do not be stuck on stupid. Do not misunderstand. It says it five times about not letting things deceive you. Four times it says do not let men deceive you. And eight times it says you don't be self-deceived or don't deceive yourself by. In other words, the Scripture says don't be stuck on stupid. Give you a couple of quick examples. You're stuck on stupid, the Bible says, if you think you're not going to reap what you sow. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. Do not be misunderstanding. Do not sneer at God and turn your nose up at God. Whatever you sow, you're going to reap. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to reap more than you sow. And you're going to reap later than you sow. But if you sow, you are going to reap. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap of the flesh death and destruction. If you sow to the Spirit, you will reap of the Spirit everlasting life. Don't be deceived. Don't be parked on dumb. Don't be stuck on stupid. Whatever you sow, you're going to get it back. Well, in 1 Corinthians, he says, Be not deceived. Uh, uh, Bad associations corrupt good manners. I never did understand that until I read it in the Greek. And it literally said, don't be stuck on stupid. Whoever you associate will affect your morality. If you're not careful, you will associate with bad people. And they will destroy your morality and your character and your faith. Don't be parked on dumb and stuck on stupid. Your associations matter. I mean, some of you keep associating with the same people over and over and over. You keep going back to the same type over and over and over, expecting a different result. You get the same thing every time. Some of you keep hanging out with those people that bring drama into your life, and you wonder why your wife, your life is always filled with drama. It's because you keep, you're stuck on stupid. You're parked on dumb. Well, this is exactly what he says about the understanding of the Holy Spirit. Why do we value Pentecost? 
And the Bible asks us from very startling questions. The first one simply is, what does Pentecost mean? You know, the day of Pentecost, they were all in one cord in one place. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Coven tongues of fire set upon each of them. They were all baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire, began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gave them the utterance. And as they begin to glorify and magnify the works of God, they break out of that upper room. And they, they, the people that are gathered for the feast days, they hear them speaking in their own language. And, and they're gathered together. And some of them mock and say that they're drunk and filled with new wine. And others just simply are confused and said, What does this mean? They were amazed and startled by what's happening. And so they asked this startling question, What does Pentecost mean? Well, first of all, there's a historical uh, significance or a historical completion here. What, what he's talking about, you remember the first thing that Peter said when he stands up with the eleven to answer their startling question, what does this mean? He said, this is that that the prophet Joel spake about. He takes them all the way back to the Old Testament and begins to talk to them about the fulfillment of Pentecost and is is historically based upon the Scripture. Now, let's, let's talk just briefly, historically. You remember Israel had feast days. In fact, three times a year in Deuteronomy chapter 16, God required the people to come away from where they lived, come to Jerusalem, and to celebrate feasts. And their most important feasts were from Passover to Pentecost. Now, that was a period of time that literally lasted for 57 weeks. The first part of it was Passover. You're all aware with Passover. Christ, our Passover, is slain for us. You remember that the Passover was to commemorate their deliverance from Egyptian bondage. They put the blood upon the doorpost and the side post of the doors. And the Lord said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. And the blood saved them from the penalty of sin, which is death. It saved them from the power of sin, which is servitude. It saved them from the presence of sin and brought them out from under their burdens. It was a type of being saved. But the moment that they were in that feast of Passover, they started the second part of it, which was called the Feast of the Unleavened Bread. And they would cast out all the leaven from their bread. And it was a sign of the purging out of the sinfulness that they had picked up in Egyptian bondage. And it in, and then the third part was called the Feast of the First Fruits. And they on the third day after the slaying of the Passover lamb, the priest would take a handful of grain and he would wave it before the, the presence of the Lord. It was the first fruits of the harvest. Well, all of that was symbolism that was fulfilled in the New Testament because Jesus shed His blood, that through the shedding of His blood we might be saved from the penalty of sin and the power of sin and the very presence of sin, that we might be made new creations in Christ Jesus with old things passed away and all things becoming new. And by the shedding of the blood, He has purged our hearts from the leaven of sin. And he guaranteed it by his resurrection. So that the same moment the priest is waving that sheaf of grain, Jesus was being resurrected from the dead because he is the first fruits of the resurrection. And it is his resurrection that guarantees our salvation. And then they would count 50 days. And on that 50th day, they entered into what they called the Feast of Pentecost and or the Feast of Weeks. And it was a unique feast. It reminded them of the giving of the law from Sinai. And this time they offered to God two new loaves from the harvest. It was always connected with harvest. And in those two new loaves, they were baked with leaven, 
or with power because a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And they would offer those to God. So that Pentecost meant the celebration of the receiving of the law from Sinai. But it also celebrated the harvest, the two new loaves of harvest. And when they did that feast, they would read the book of Ruth. Because they believed that the two loaves represented the full harvest. Not only of the bringing in of the Jews, but also the bringing in of the Gentiles like Ruth. Amen? And so, that was what the feast historically was all about. In symbolism, what it meant was, you're saved, you're purged. It's guaranteed by His resurrection. But there is another element. He not only wants to save you, He not only wants to purge your heart by faith where the old leaven of your past life is cast out, He guaranteed that by His resurrection, but He wants you full of the life-giving power of His Spirit. In fact, Ezekiel said, He'll take the stony heart out of your flesh, He'll put a heart of, of flesh back into you, and He'll put your, His Spirit within you, and He will write His words upon your heart, and you will know His statutes and His commandments, and you will do them. So that now Pentecost is the empowerment of His Spirit that enables us to live this life in power, free from sin. It is the completion of what He started in Passover. So that now we're not only saved and purged, but we are filled with the newness of the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit empowers us to walk and to live without sinning. It also empowers us to be a part of the harvest, the two loaves, the former and the latter rain, the harvest of the crops, amen? And so in the two loaves, we see both the character of Christ, which is the fruit of the Spirit, and the gifts or the manifestation of God's power. And he wants us to have both. And so historically, that's what it meant. It meant that this which was uh, prophesied in Scripture is now fulfilled. The Scripture is fulfilled. Peter simply said, this is that that the prophet Joel spake about. Well, what did he say? It shall come to pass, saith God, in the latter day, that I will pour out and release my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. And your old men will dream dreams and your young men will see visions. And upon my handmaids and my servants in those days will I pour out of my spirit and they will prophesy. Peter said everything that was prophesied about the release of the Holy Spirit is now fulfilled. That's why we're gathered in this upper room. Because you remember in the Bible, there were all kinds of prophecies about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And one day, Moses is prophesying, the Spirit of God is upon him. And some of the other guys prophesying, and some of his uh, leaders get jealous and say, make them stop. And he said, would to God that all of God's people were prophets, and they all had the Spirit of God. Because in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come upon them, but he wouldn't stay. He came upon them to empower them to do exploits, but he left. See, uh, the Bible says in Joshua that, that, that Joshua and Caleb had a, a different spirit. A, a, and the spirit came upon David, and he defeats the lion and the bear and the giant. And the spirit came upon Samson, and he, and he tears that lion as he would, and he would shake him. You know all those scriptures. And Isaiah, he said, with men of stammering lips and other tongues while I speak to this generation. And Ezekiel, he said, I'm going to put my spirit within you. There were constant prophecies about a time when the spirit would not only come upon them, but he would abide within them. 
And when you get to the New Testament, John the Baptist put it best. He said it like this. He said, I indeed baptize you with water under repentance. But there is one coming after me who is mightier than I. I'm not even worthy to kneel down and unloose his shoes. And he will baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. And Jesus said to his disciples, It's necessary for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Spirit will not come. The Comforter, the Paracletes, the the kind I've been to you, the same one that comes to your side. Uh, If I go away, I'll pray the Father. He'll send you another Comforter, even the Spirit of truth, and He will abide with you forever. And so after He's resurrected, what did He tell them? Go to Jerusalem. Wait there until you be endued clothed upon with power from on high. He said, tarry there. Because John said, water, I say not many days hence, you're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so it was the fulfillment, literally, of all that Old Testament historical significance. It is the fulfillment of Scripture. You need to understand that. But what does it mean? It means that Jesus is alive. When Peter stands up, what did he say? You took him with wicked hands and crucified him. But God hath raised him up. He is alive. The the outpouring of the Holy Spirit means that Jesus not only died and was crucified and was buried, but he's been resurrected in the newness of life. He is alive forevermore. And not only is the Savior alive, but it means the sacrifice for our sins is accepted. How do you know that? Because Jesus ascended. And he goes into the presence of God. And the Bible said the patterns in the heavenlies had to be purified with a better sacrifice than that on earth. The earthly sacrifice was the blood of bulls and of goats and the sprinkling of an ashes of an heifer. But not the heavenly sacrifice. He goes and ascends to the Father and he offers up his own blood. Amen. And how do we know it's accepted? Well, how did they know in the Old Testament? Because the priest would go in to the holies of holies on the Day of Atonement. He stripped off his outer robe. It had a bell and a pomegranate and a bell and a pomegranate all the way around the hem of that robe. He put that in the holy place, put on linen garments, took the blood of the sacrificial goat into the holies of holies. Well, only he could go there and he only once a year. And if God was displeased, he wouldn't make it out alive. So how did they know the sacrifice had been accepted? Because when the blood sacrifice had been accepted by the Father and their sins had been rolled ahead, the high priest would go back in the holy place, strip off the linen garments, and put on his robe. And everywhere he walked in that holy place, you could hear the sound of the bell. So what does the baptism of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost mean? What was that sound that was noised abroad in Jerusalem where they all heard them speaking in their own languages the wonderful works of God? It said our high priest was dead, but he's alive. He's ascended. He's offered the sacrifice of himself. God the Father has accepted that sacrifice. Your sins are purified and washed away. And we heard the noise of it in Jerusalem. And it meant the sacrifice was accepted. Peter also, and I've listed the Scriptures for you, I've done your homework, so that he said, He that was crucified, God has raised him up, and he's made him both Lord and Christ. He's seated him at the right hand of the majesty on high. He's not only the great high priest over the household of God, he is the King of kings. He is the Lord of lords. That's what Pentecost means. See, when Jesus said, I'm going to the Father, I'll pray the Father, he'll give you another uh, uh, comforter. He'll give you the gift of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, that's the coronation gift. Jesus is seated. He is not only the high priest, He's the King of kings. He's come into His kingdom. He's fulfilled the work the Father's given Him. 
And he asked the father, says, what do you want for a coronation gift? And he says, I don't want anything for myself. My kingdom is rather small, only about 120 in an upper room. But I want a gift for them. I want a gift where they can join in the celebration. And on the day of Pentecost, they were baptized with the Holy Ghost and fire and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit of the Lord gave them utterance. Their natural tongue is set ablaze to testify of His saving power. And their spiritual tongue is set ablaze so they can worship the risen King. He's seated. Okay, so that's what it means. Not only is the Scripture fulfilled, not only is the Savior alive, the sacrifice for sin is accepted, and the Savior is seated both as Lord and Messiah. But it means now we are empowered. Servants are empowered. You know what he said? You tarry there until you are endued. You know what that word means? Clothed upon. Until you are baptized. And that word means to be obluted. It means to be dumped. In other words, it's the same word when a ship is sunk. Every compartment of the ship is filled. Amen. It means taking your donut this morning and dunking it in your coffee. It means to be tainted and colored and dyed. It means to be clothed upon. He fell upon them. He embraced them. They were full and gushing out with the Holy Spirit. All of the words mean the same that they were totally immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, in baptism, there is a baptizer, there is an element, and there is the candidate. Jesus said, necessary for you to get away. If I, if I go away, I'll pray the Father. He'll send you another comforter. I will baptize you. Jesus is the baptizer. I will baptize you in or with the Holy Ghost. That's the element. And you are the one I'm going to put and place into the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And the result of that endowment is that you will be witnesses unto me. You will be empowered in order to witness about who Jesus Christ is. And that's what the power of the Holy Spirit is for. He said you'll receive ability and efficiency and might. After that, the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be witnesses unto me. Amen. He literally used the Greek term dynamos or dynamos, which means dynamite. He said, I'm going to immerse you and put you in to an element of power. There will be this explosion of power. Somebody said, dynamite's negative. It blows things up. It also blows things out of the way. In order to build a road, you use dynamite. That's not negative. You've blown the rocks away so that you can make the road. In mining, you blow everything else away so it uncovers the treasure. The Holy Spirit, when you're baptized, He immerses you into an explosion of power. But not only that, the word doesn't just mean dynamite, it means dynamo. For He said, This He spake concerning the Holy Spirit, that they that believe upon Him should receive. For out of their innermost being there shall flow rivers of living water. In other words, it's not just a momentary explosion of power and it's over with. But He immerses you into the living power of the Holy Spirit, which is like a dynamo, which is like a flowing river, which is continual. There's no explosion and then it's over. But there is this constant onworking of the Holy Spirit through your life. And the endowment is to make you a witness. In other words, what the Bible says is that when you are filled and immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will be able to show forth the worth of Jesus. You'll be able to be like Jesus. You'll, your life will show the character of Jesus. What is the fruit of the Spirit? 
love, joy, peace, faith. What is that? That's the very nature of Jesus. But not only will you show forth the worth of Jesus, he said now you will have the ability to do the works of Jesus. Greater works than these that I have done shall you do. There will come gifts and manifestations of power and miracles. And not only that, you will have the opportunity by being immersed in the power of the Holy Spirit to do the work of Jesus, which is to go into all the world, to preach the gospel to every creature. That's what Pentecost is about. It is about the harvest and the bringing in of the lost. And Joel said, this is that, what God promised, that God in the latter day would pour His Spirit out and immerse all of His sons and daughters, the young and the old, the handmaidens, women, and servants. In other words, he said this is endowment is for everyone. It's for my children. It's for the very young. It's for the very old. It's for the servants. It's for the ethnic groups. It's for the handmaidens. There's no ethnic nor gender description. This is for everyone. The promise is unto you, unto your children, those that are far off and as many as the Lord thy God shall call. Amen. And so the, the baptism or the Pentecost that we celebrate is the endowment of His servants. But it also begins a new Spirit-filled era or age in which the Lord is that Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. So that everything that God does in the world now, He does by the operation, the manifestation, the demonstration of His Holy Spirit. Nothing He does without the operation of the Holy Spirit. See, the difference between the Old and New Testament is in the Old Testament, He came and left. He would anoint them. They would do... I mean, didn't they do miracles in the Old Testament? Elijah's mantle, fire falling on Carmel, rolling back of the waters, Samson taking the jawbone of a donkey, destroying the enemy, David pulling down uh, uh, Jebus and turning it to Jerusalem, tearing down the strongholds, David killing Goliath. The Holy Spirit would come upon him, but he would leave. But in the New Testament, we have the enduring power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, now, he will abide with you every Sunday at 10 o'clock and come back at 1130 and may show up at your service on Wednesday night. No, he shall abide with you for you are the temple of the Holy Ghost whose temple you are. The kingdom of God is within you. My Father and I, we will come and make our abode in you. He has been with you. Now He shall be within you, filling you full of all the fullness of His power and His Word. Because in the New Testament, we have the enduring and the endowing presence of the Holy Spirit. And so everything He does, He does by His Spirit. Everything He does in culture. You know what the Holy Spirit was sent to do? To convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment to come. To change the world's thinking about sin. So, because sin is not just a transgression of the law, it's because you don't believe upon Jesus. They believe not on me. Of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. Righteousness is not what you earn through the keeping of the law. It is imputed because of what Jesus did on the cross, ascended to His Father, and offered up the complete full sacrifice for sin. God imputes righteousness back to you. It's not yours, it's His. He gives it to you preaching better and you're shouting stay with me just a minute and he said of judgment because the prince of this world is now judged we'll shoot a feast from both loaves so that both the character of Christ and the charismatic power of Christ will be operative into your life that's what he does do you ever read what he does he leads you and guides you into all truth 
He shows you things to come. He recalls all things to your memory, whatsoever things he said unto you. He testifies of Jesus and makes him real. He prays through you with groanings and utterances that you know not. He gives you the power to be a witness. He mortifies the deeds of your flesh. When the enemy comes in like a flood, the Spirit of the Lord lifts up a standard against him and puts the enemy to flight. The anointing abides in you and that anointing teaches you all things. Greater is he that is within you than he that is within this world. Oh, hallelujah. Everything He does in you, He does through the power of the Holy Spirit. Through Pentecost. Oh. Everything He does in culture, everything that He does in you, He does through the operation, the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. And one day, He said, that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And He by that same Spirit will quicken and make alive your mortal body. The power of the resurrection is the power of the Holy Spirit so that everything He does in culture and everything He does in the church, the Christian, He does through the Holy Spirit. Everything He does in here. The Bible said the Spirit sets in the church, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers for the work of the ministry, for the perfecting of the saints, for the edifying of the body of Christ. He sets within the church, helps governments, administrations, prophecies, teachings, tongues. He does that. Are you with me? See, that's what it means. Everything that God does in the world, everything He does in us, everything He does in the church, He does by the operation and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. He empowers you to be a part of the harvest so that you not only have the enduring power of the Holy Spirit, you have the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. And He said, after you believe, you were sealed with the Holy Ghost of promise, which is the earnest of your inheritance until the time of the redemption of God's purchased possession. And the word earnest means down payment. I went all of high school waiting for commencement because I thought it meant quit. You know what commencement means? Begin. Some of us have so emphasized receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the initial evidence and, and, and speaking in tongues as the initial evidence. But that's not the only evidence. The, the enduring evidence is that you be a witness and that you're involved in the harvest and that you bring forth the very fruit, the very nature of Christ, and that you participate in the works of Christ. You're empowered to be a witness, to be a part of the harvest. But I kept waiting for the end. And some of us think once you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's the end. That's the beginning. He said it's the earnest of our inheritance. It's the down payment. It's the first installment is what that word means. You know what it means? Pledge penny. Uh, they had co-op meetings in those days. And they'd gather all the workers and all the farmers. And the farmer would pick out a worker. And he wanted him, he knew he was loyal and that he was a good worker, and he wanted him to harvest his crops. So he'd reach in his pocket and pull out a penny. A penny was a day's wages. And he had put it in the hand of the worker. And he'd say, this is a pledge penny. This penny is a pledge between me and you. This is the first day's wages. But when you've completed the harvest, I'll give you the rest of the wages. That's exactly what the Holy Spirit is. He is the enabling power of the Holy Spirit. He is the pledge penny in your life to get you in the harvest field. And when all the harvest is completed, you'll get the rest of the wages in heaven. You know the other word it means? Engagement ring. Oh, you know how I know Jesus is coming? I've got an engagement ring. 
How do I know I'm a part of the bride of Christ? Because I'm full of the Holy Spirit. And when the Spirit's come, He doesn't talk about Himself. He talks about Jesus. And every day of my life, He makes Jesus real. Every day of my life, we pray in the name of Jesus. Every day of my life, the Holy Spirit's telling me more about my Master. And that engagement ring is encouraging me to be ready for His coming. And that's what the baptism of the Holy Spirit means. So that now, there is this new Spirit-filled age. So, in light of that, the Bible then asks two very startling questions. Once you know what this means, once you know that everything He does, He does by the Holy Spirit, once you know that the promise is unto you and your children and those that are far off, and as many as the Lord thy God shall call, the startling question is, have you received since you believed? Well, duh. Are we stuck on stupid to the place that we think that we don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit? That we can live the spiritual life and be successful without the power of the Holy Spirit that Jesus provided for us and empowers us with and immerses us? Do, do we think that we don't need the Holy Spirit? Well, do we? Have you received? Have you been baptized? Have you been immersed? Have you been abluted? Is every compartment of your life filled with the power of the Holy Spirit? That, that's the question in Acts 19. Do you know Acts 19 is 20 years after the day of Pentecost? didn't happen the next day. It's 20 years later. And Paul goes to Ephesus and he finds 12 men there who are disciples. And he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed, after you believed? And they said, we don't even know anything about the Holy Ghost. Whose baptism were you baptized into? Into John's baptism. Paul said, look, John baptized in water for the remission of your sins, looking forward to the coming of the Messiah, but he's already here. So he took them and baptized them in the name of Jesus. And immediately, after they had received Christ as their Savior, he just lays his hands on them. And they receive the Holy Ghost. They are immersed Oh, hallelujah. Every part of their life, they're baptized in and with the power of the Holy Spirit, begin to speak with tongues and prophesy. And the question is, would we be so stuck on stupid, knowing that everything God does in the world, in us, in the church, He does by the operation, the manifestation, the demonstration, the administration of the Holy Spirit, and we wouldn't be filled with the Spirit? Amen. Kind of startling, isn't it? Have you received? Well, Brother Bob House, very simple, prayer. You know what he told them in the book of Acts? The Bible said that they were constantly in that upper room. They were in one place, one accord, and they were praying with supplication. The baptism of the Holy Spirit comes out of your prayer life. You pray. You have not because you ask not. Ask and you shall receive. If your earthly father knows how to give good gifts unto his children, how much more does your heavenly father know how to give the Holy Ghost to them that ask? If you ask your earthly father for, uh, for bread, would he give you a stone? If you ask him for a fish, would he give you a serpent? If you ask him for an egg, would he give you a scorpion? Uh, see, bread and fish were their staples. That's the necessities. Only rich people had eggs. So the Lord said, if you ask your earthly father not only for the necessary things that establishes you and operates through you in this life, and even the extras, if your earthly father would give you good gifts, how much more does a heavenly father give the Holy Ghost to them that ask him? So if you're not full of the Holy Spirit, if you've not been baptized with the Holy Spirit, you need to ask. 
You pray. Secondly, it comes out of praise. They constantly were in the upper room blessing and praising God. On the day of Pentecost, they began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You know what they were doing? They were using their own languages. They were speaking forth the mighty works of God. They were saying, glory, hallelujah, Jesus is the Messiah. But the Holy Spirit, they're immersed in His power, and He gives them the ability to speak forth in that heavenly language. Amen. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit not only comes out of power, it comes out of praise. Amen. You're looking at me. Okay. And then the third way that the Holy Spirit comes is not just out of power and out of praise. But it comes out of personal obedience. Book of Acts, I'll, I'll listen to the Scripture. He knows how to give the Holy Ghost to those that obey. Amen. What, what does that mean? He told them to go back to Jerusalem. Would you wanted to go back to Jerusalem? They just crucified your master 50 days before. And they could be waiting at the gate for you. But he said, I want you to go back and wait until the historical day comes. And in personal obedience, they go. And as they obeyed Him, they're baptized. Obedience is the key to receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You're praying, you're praising, you obey what He says. Whatever He puts in your heart, you do it. Amen. And the, and the last one is what I put there was presbytery. That means eldership. And what it means was they received the Holy Spirit when the elders of the church laid hands on them. That's what Paul did at Ephesus. He calls them outside, said, what, baptizes them again in the name of Jesus, and then the Bible said he laid his hands on them. And when he laid his hands on them, they began to speak with tongues and prophesy and receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I, I gave you the two references uh, on your sheet. First uh, Timothy. He says, Timothy, there is a gift that is within you, a gift of ministry that is given to you by the laying on of the hands of the presbytery or the eldership. They laid their hands upon you and you were endued with this power. And then in Second Timothy, he makes it personal. And he said, I laid my hands on you and there was a gift imparted unto you and I want you to stir up the gift of God that is within you by the laying on of my hands for God has not given us the spirit of fear or of uh, being timid or backward, but He's given us the spirit of love and of power and of the soundness of mind. So that just simply by the laying on of the hands of others, God imparts and releases the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the question is, startling, are, are we stupid enough to think that we don't need the baptism of the Holy Spirit when He does everything in and through us, when He empowers us, when He abides with us? Then are you filled? And the second startling question is in Galatians. And that's not to those who have not received it. It's to us who have received the Holy Spirit. How many of you have been baptized with the Holy Spirit? Okay. You know what he says to us? Are you stuck on stupid? Are you so foolish? Have you lost your senses? Are you so crazy to believe that you can start in the power of the Spirit and finish in your flesh? How did you receive the Holy Spirit? By what you did or by believing the Word? God has demonstrated Himself to you through miracles and wonders, and now do you believe that you could finish in your own strength and your own ability? Well, do we? See, we've got a dirty little secret. And the dirty little secret is that we're Pentecostal on paper but we're not much Pentecostal in practice. 
We're Pentecostal in doctrine, but not much in demonstration. We're Pentecostal in belief, but we're not a lot Pentecostal in behavior. Because if you're filled with the power of the Holy Spirit, you're supposed to walk in the Spirit, talk in the Spirit, sing in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, bring forth the fruit of the Spirit, be empowered to be a witness to bring in the harvest, to bring forth the gifts and the operations and the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. If we are filled with the Spirit, Paul says, we need to get in step and sync with the Holy Spirit. And every day, keep on drinking in. Oh, hallelujah. Do not be filled with wine when it's excess, but keep on drinking in huge amounts of the Holy Spirit. And you'll speak to yourself in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody in your heart unto God. In other words, he says, would we arrive at the place that we would be so stuck on stupid that we would think that we could do this without the Holy Spirit? Do we? You know what they said at like Odyssey? We are rich to increase with goods, and we don't need anything. We don't need anybody. And by the time you get to Jude, you know what he says? There were a group of people in the church that were sensual. They were fleshly. They depended upon their own abilities and their own gifts, and they had not the Spirit. And in reality, it says, they didn't want or need the Holy Spirit. i got to close. But right now in our church, less than 20% of our converts ever go on to the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Out of 640 million Pentecostals and Charismatics in the world, 40% has never spoken with other tongues. We're raising up a whole generation of Pinos, not Rhinos, Republican in name only, Pinos, Pentecostal in name only. Thank God for youth camp, 40 plus baptized with the Holy Ghost. Children's camp, 55 baptized with the Holy Ghost. You see, if we start, we can't, in the power and the presence of the Spirit, we can't finish with our own personality. It's not your charisma. It's His charisma to Not your own plans and programs. It's the onworking of the Holy Spirit in and through and out of your life. And so what we need as Pentecostal believers this morning, because we value Pentecost, is to be like the disciples. After they were threatened, they went back to the upper room and they prayed, and the Bible said when they prayed, the place was shaken and they were filled again with the Holy Ghost and boldness. Are we stuck on stupid? Do you know what Pentecost means? Have you received? Are you trying to continue in your own strength? Or are you living daily in the power of the Holy Spirit? Stand with me right now. Hallelujah. I hope you'll take these sheets and use the Scripture references and study more. Receiving the Holy Spirit is just like receiving salvation. You believe. You pray. You praise. You personally obey. God baptizes you with the power of the Holy Spirit. And God wants you living in the fullness, the overflow of the power of the Spirit in your life. And as His people, He wants us to be shaken and filled again. Father, I thank You that You brought us together this morning. Teach us what this means. That You're releasing Your Spirit upon all flesh. That the promise is unto us, unto our children, those that are far off. Many as the Lord thy God shall call. And Lord, I pray that if there be those here this morning that have never really been baptized, immersed after they believe into the fullness of your empowerment, 
the enduringness of your Holy Spirit. I ask you to baptize them with the Holy Ghost in fire. Saturate them. Abode them. And I pray for your people this morning that have received the Holy Spirit. For we all get to the place we begin to think we can do it ourselves, that our own strength and personality and gifts. No, Lord. The yoke is destroyed not by might nor by power, but by your Spirit. And Lord, we pray that you would shake us this morning and that you would fill us again with the Holy Ghost. I pray you would do it individually and collectively. Bring us again to the upper room. Let us close the doors and close ourselves in with you and shake us. Fill us anew. Help us to drink in new, huge amounts of your Holy Spirit until we're witnesses praying and praising and living in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. For one day, that same Spirit that's within us is going to quicken and make us alive and catch us away to be with you in eternity, resurrecting us from the dead, bringing us into your presence. I pray a Pentecostal blessing upon your people. Would you do something right now as we close? Would, would you just reach out and lay your hand on somebody's shoulder, take their hand for a moment, and would you just pray that the Holy Spirit will stir up the gift of God that is within them? That the Holy Spirit would stir up and flame into fire His fruits and His gifts and His manifestations and His power so that we would not depend upon ourselves nor walk in our own strength, but we would walk in the Spirit, talk in the Spirit, sing in the Spirit, pray in the Spirit, live in the fullness of His power. Touch your people right now, Lord. As we lay our hands on one another, just like the elders laid their hands on the disciples and those who believed, shake us and fill us again. Shake us and fill us again. Stir up the gift of God that is within us by the laying on of your hands. Fan into flame the fire of God. For you've not given us the spirit of timidity and cowardliness, but love, power and ability, sound mind, knowledge, so that we can be a part of your harvest until you come for us. Stir it up within us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. It's been a privilege to have you join us for this time of ministry. To find more Passion Church resources or to make a donation online, visit www.passionchurch.tv. Remember, you can't live without passion.